Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Well, I am more than excited to be presenting today's guest to you all. Some may know this person by their distinct involvement within the leather community. Others may consider them to have been a role model and inspiration to many. And some may remember him by his profound words shared on the stage of the International Mr. Leather 2019 competition. If you're enough for you, then you are enough. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Jack. Hi, Jack. Hey. Never say that in an airport. They, they'll arrest you for that. Why? <laughs> oh, I'm Brandon Bullet. Yeah, no, don't do that. No, I was going to say hi, Jack. You can't say oh. <laughs> well, Jack, would you mind introducing yourself, please? <laughs> hi, I'm Jack Thompson. Uh, I was International Mr. Leather 2019. I say was because I am technically not in title anymore, despite what people think. Okay. Um, my sexual orientation is um, up in the air still. I, it's queer for the most part, but I'm still not entirely sure where I stand at the moment. Uh, gender identity, I identify as um, trans masculine or male, usually just dude over there. Um, I've been in the leather community since well kind of on the outskirts of it since i was about 15 and just didn't know that there was a whole community or like what exactly i was into and then um sort of more cemented into it when i was in my early 20s and um uh before i was international mr leather i was a leatherman of color 2019 uh which is uh usually done out of baltimore or dc uh but it's a national title so anybody that is a a man of color or there's a leather woman of color as well title uh can do that anywhere in the u.s um yeah i mean i've, I've done many many things <laughs> i'm well, also a drag king i'm a leather worker i do all <laughs> well we'll definitely get more into that uh you, you said you were early back in your early 20s so how old are you i'm 34 Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Apparently yes. <laughs> surprises some people. <laughs> well, you know, here on Leather Talk, I always love to just, the reason I'm doing Leather Talk really is to get to know people individually. And um, I think it's a really good opportunity to just hear people's voices, hear people's stories. A lot of times, like, especially in today's world, we'll see things like on social media, on Facebook, and we're just so quick to attack without knowing someone's full story and uh you know there's there's so many people out there where i'm like oh that's why they think like that because they went through this experience or that experience and i think it's just so it's such a great thing to just be able to hear each other's stories like that um so as we get into it i really want to know more about your origins um and i'd like to go kind of into your your coming out story uh, when did that all start for you when did you realize you were queer or or other 
Uh, well, it is the day after National Coming Out Day, so perfect timing. Um, no, I, I came out originally, I came out as a lesbian when I was in the seventh grade, which was a horrible experience. <laughs> um, middle school sucks no matter who you are. So being like the gay kid was definitely not good for me. Uh, thankfully, I was generally well liked. So it wasn't as bad as I'm sure it could have been if I was like a total loner. But it was still pretty bad. I got bullied a lot. Um, I ended up going through a, a mental breakdown just because I lost so many friends who didn't know what to do with me. Um, and uh, I was homeschooled for quite a while because of it um but then when i was like early high school um i found out what transgender was and totally just blew my mind and rearranged how i thought about things i was like look i know i like girls but i'm still miserable why am i still miserable and then when i found out what that being trans was even a thing i was like oh i don't have to be completely miserable for the rest of my life great okay wow. Um, and I started identifying as Jack when I was about 15. Uh, so I've spent more of my life as Jack than not. <laughs> so, okay, okay. um, and then I've had to come out so many times. Like I, I, the, a few years back, I, when I met the man who would become my husband, I was very much identifying as straight. Um, and I only dated women. I've only ever really dated women. Um, and then I met him and even he had to basically like kind of drag me kicking and screaming out of that closet because i was just like no we're just friends who like occasionally make out like that doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it took a year for me to even tell my parents that we were dating or like me to admit that we were even dating um and you know you know a couple of years after that i was iml so like, it kinda... <laughs> and then wow. i had to come out with my diagnosis as hiv positive like i've had to do so much coming out that um, my mom has just given up on it. She's like, whatever, I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a journey. What a journey. So in some ways, are you still like discovering your, your own sexuality? In a lot of ways, yeah. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with the fact that I'm uh, sexually attracted to men. Um, I still, if I'm like, if I'm being very honest, I still vastly prefer to date women. Um, but I've realized that there's a difference in intensity. Like, I'm very much romantically like butterflies in the stomach, like want to do all the romantic stuff with women. Mm -hmm. uh, with men, it's almost exclusively with a couple of, of exceptions. It's much more of a like strictly sexual thing. Um, I don't okay. have like big feelings like my husband and a couple of the people who I've gotten close to um, is are like the few like romantic endeavors into like dating men that I've had. Um, but I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like, I at least know where I stand with people and kind of what I'm up for, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to get everything from one single person. And I think having that expectation also can be a, a downfall for a lot of people. Yeah. I'm also very, like, I'm still very monogamously minded. Like, I'm a very monogamous person, naturally. Um, it's It's been a lot of error and some trial <laughs> with, with being polyamorous. And I'm... I'm in a open marriage and I was in a polyamorous relationships with last people that I've been with for many, many years. But I still, to this day, I'm like, no, if I like all that ended and I had to like, was on my own and I was just single again, I would never go looking for it again. Mm -hmm. Like, But I definitely, because of the situations that I'm in, it is 
it makes sense for what we're doing and the relationship that I'm in makes sense to be open and polyamorous. So that's what I'm doing. So your current relationship is, is open and polyamorous. Yeah. And is that mainly because you also want to date women or? I mean, my, my husband is also queer. Um, okay. So uh, while we're, especially because of COVID, we're very happy that we love each other and we like spending a lot of time with each other. Um, mm. But yeah, like, we're both interested in women um and we both sort of miss that uh, uh that part of our lives and so like that eventually at some point when dating looks like something that is easily done again <laughs> uh you know we'll probably like figure that out separately um and me and my husband my husband is a disabled veteran um and because of a lot of um physical pain and body issues like we don't have sex in the traditional way that a lot of people think of and, and we don't do it very often so um it helps the person like me who shoots testosterone into their body once a week you know who has a much who has a very high sex drive if i really want to or need to i can technically go outside of my relationship and get that taken care of um and my husband loves that uh but because of COVID, that even that is not really something that's on I the know. Table. It's uh, it, the COVID thing really sucks. I remember the first week I was like, oh my God, like, I think this whole year I've had sex with like two people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely like, like, compounded like how like who do i see and i'm like which one of my friends that i do see am i sexually attracted to it's been like it's been right. like, hmm. like have you seen do you follow the there's this comedian i, I think her name's meg meg salter and she has this video where she's asking her roommate out and she's like i'm really horny <laughs> it's what you gotta do like you, yeah. like I mean, who in my life that's in my bubble or do I want to bring into my bubble that I'm attracted to? Because really, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's, that's our general arrangement. Like my husband is a sex is a, a sexually attracted to sluttiness. And so having me go out and have sex with other people is something that he finds really like, it's a huge turn on. Oh my God. Well, um, Jack, you don't really have that a lot about your sex later on. Uh, I'm gonna hold it in, but we're gonna, gonna ask. It <laughs> I'll wait. We're gonna wait till the end. Save all the good stuff to the end. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk a little bit about your leather journey. So, you, you know, you you came out. You actually came out, I think, at a really young age, and especially to discover that you're trans and that that was even a thing. I think. I mean, even when I was growing up, I'm a little younger than you. I didn't know what trans was till a lot later and then I didn't even know people who were trans you know until a lot later so you know kudos to you for for um where did you grow up <laughs> see I was gonna say that's the thing I grew up in Berkeley California okay like, okay <laughs> yeah see that always explains everything right there like I you know I I helped start the GSA in my middle school which was the only like the second middle school GSA in the country um and then I was in high school and there were 4,500 students in my high school when I was mm. a freshman so I had a very large school and there was like a large amount of gay people and gay faculty and teachers. And so like I met a lot of people that were like me um, and there was a LGBTQ community center in Berkeley that's still there. Um, and that's where I met someone who, for the first time that I knew that told me they were trans. Um, and because he was in charge of the Speakers Bureau, which I was trying to get involved with. Uh, at 
at the at the Pacific Center, and he he was just like this short little dude with glasses and like a big red beard, and he told me that he used to be a woman, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I, it was very like this is really cool. Wow. So how like, did you feel of, when you when you realized that this was an option for you? Um, scared and relieved. Like I'm not. You have you seen Clerks? So no. Kevin Smith's first movie, Clerks. There's a whole thing about how like I'm not gonna disrupt things just so I can be comfortable. Like mm -hmm. I I'm the person who'd be like, well, I guess this is what I got, and I'm not gonna complain, and I'm just gonna sit here and take it. And that's sort of the way that. I had to I had to break out of that and I still do it in some areas of my life. Um, but especially when I was that young, I had absolutely no self-esteem. I had negative self-esteem. I had a lot of emotional um, and and physical. I had uh, a really horrible back situation uh, injury when I was a kid. So I had a lot of physical and emotional and mental um, issues that I was trying to deal with, plus coming out, plus starting to date like it, it, my hormones were everywhere in general like everything was bad you know so um the fact that i found out what trans was and it re and it resonated so much with me i still was like well i can't do that and even if i could like mm -hmm. who's going to accept me if i do that and i just kept trying to find reasons that it was a bad idea because i was trying to like cut myself off at the knees to be happy because i wasn't used to being happy um it would mean so becoming uncomfortable Change, you, you can't make change happen unless you get uncomfortable. So like, yeah. So I was uncomfortable for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you said, you know, your mom kind of got used to you coming out. But what was her first reaction when you when you came out as first lesbian and then then trans? I mean, what was her initial reaction? Well, I came out for the first time on Easter. It was not on purpose. Um, <laughs> um, it's okay. I came out on Christmas. <laughs> so. like, right? It's always a holiday, right? It's going to ruin everything. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't want to go visit my grandparents, which we did every Easter, um, because my grandparents were super, super religious. Um, and I was like, I just can't. I'm dealing with too much stuff. I don't want to deal with some fire and brimstone talk around me, you know. And my parents didn't know. And so I sort of like got into this fight with them about how like I don't want to go to see my grandparents. And they're like, well, we'll put you in the car. Like, well, <laughs> who care? And I just kind of blurted out that I was gay. And then the conversation stopped for a good half hour. And then there was some yelling. And oh, wow. I still went and visited my grandparents, but everybody was real quiet the whole time. Um, and eventually my parents came around and they were just like, okay, you know, I remember very clearly my mother having a conversation with being like, well, I hope it's all a phase. I was like, yeah, I, you know, what's a phase? She's like this whole gay thing. And it kind of was in that way because I wasn't a lesbian for very long before I, I was <laughs> Well, I mean, it, was, it was really so, a stepping stone to you discovering yourself in a deeper way. Right. And when I came out as trans, my mom was very confused, but was also like, well, wait, so now I have one of each because I have a younger sister. And I was like, yeah, I guess. He was like, well, I guess that's a good thing. And just sort of tried to find the things about it that were okay and like good for her to be able to like mentally deal. My mom had been a part of PFLAG at that point for a couple of years. So like she had support, uh, which was very good. 
Um, my dad was sort of always just like, okay, whatever makes you happy. And then like moved along with, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but my mom is, my mom and dad are like super, super supportive of everything that I do. Um, it just took them a while uh, to like, as I call it, I, I slowly eroded my parents' expectations <laughs> of what my life was going to be like in their mind. And now they're like, sure, like whatever makes you happy, like we're, we're here for it, you know. I think that's really awesome. And, you know, I, I tell some of my friends who have come out, you know, you kind of have to give, I mean, I've told myself, took me 18, 19, 20 years to figure myself out and to accept myself. So I'm going to give my parents at least that. And then I think that's being generous. And then after yeah. that, it's okay. Like either take it or leave it. Uh, oftentimes I think parents try to put us into this ideal box of what they thought we would be like, because they're kind of in their minds responsible for bringing us up in a certain way. And then when we turn out to be completely not what they thought, they're like, Oh my God, where did I go wrong? <laughs> well, they also, they also have to grieve like it, and it sucks because people don't like to hear this, but they have to grieve the, this person that they thought you were, you know, like yeah. they have to grieve this, this idea that they've had in their minds since they just figured out that they were having a child where they were, you know, like, or whatever version of that, getting a child, having a child, that they have this this thing in their mind of who you're going to be and what you're going to be like and what about them they'll see in you and, like, all these things. And when you drastically change that, they have to grieve that ideal. Yeah. And it takes some time for them to kind of unlearn all of these expectations they had. Um, and I have a lot of empathy f and sympathy for that. Like, I'm just like, okay, like I see how difficult that must be. Cause I have, I have children in my life that I've taken care of or that, you know, I've, I've seen grow up that even I've had ideas of what they would be like. And that's completely different. And I've had to be like, oh, they're that person now, but I'm not their mm. parent. Like I, right. so it's really interesting you say that. Cause like, now that I think about it, I've always had like this thought that I would have like a kid who would like I would make a prodigy violinist at age five and like they would go on concerts with me and they're like well what if they don't want to play violin <laughs> like, right and they probably won't because what, no kid wants to do what their parents want right to do. exactly like, <laughs> like the more you push them to do stuff like that the more they're gonna like either resent you or just really rebel and like right I, I, I know that. And like, I, I, I've always wanted to be a father. I want to be, have kids. And I know that anything I try to push my kids to do, they're going to want to do just something different. So right. I, I <laughs> be like, whatever you want to do, what do you want to do? Like, I, <laughs> well, that's so awesome. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to your coming out story. And I think we all kind of have our own journeys, but, um, I mean, it's just, um, I just remember, like you said, yesterday or yesterday was National Coming Out Day. I remember National Coming Out Day in college, and I wanted to come out and I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. You know, it takes a lot of a lot of courage. It takes a lot of um, just a lot of things to consider. Some people's lives could be totally uprooted. But like you said, you know, if you're not uncomfortable, there's no room for change. You know, right. I mean, I definitely in, in talking to students over the years, I've definitely had to be like, look, 
I'm all for going through your rainbow phase. I'm all for you should be supported and coming out and you should be able to do that in a supportive setting. Um, and high school, middle school is not always the most supportive setting, but you should at least know which teachers or faculty or family members that you can talk to. However, I also fully believe that if you are in a situation that will be physically or mentally unsafe, like actually unsafe, not uncomfortable for a while, not like they'll have to get used to it because there is a big difference between unsafe and uncomfortable that people seem mm -hmm. to forget when they use those words. Yeah. If you are actively going to be unsafe in a situation, if you come out, figure out at least one supportive person in your life and make sure that they have your back and figure out when is going to be a safe time. If you have to be in the closet through high school because you don't have that supportive setting or you don't have someone who you're going to be like, this is going to be a physically unsafe place for me to be if I come out. Leaving and that that will definitely push you to get better grades and get out of your wherever you are. Yeah. You know, so like there there are safer places to be and there are safe places to be around and you should be able to hopefully find those. But I don't want to tell a bunch of kids you should be able to come out and if you don't come out like that's bad and then they come out knowing they're in a situation that is unsafe for them and then have that be something bad that happens like that right. that would that would i would hate myself if i if i if i pursued that and told someone that that's what they had to do like i can't tell you what your situation is like you know like right because there's a whole reality to it some people they don't know if they'd get kicked out of the house at 16 if they came if they came out, you know? Yeah, and if they don't have anyone else in their lives that would take them in. Like, if you have yeah. a plan, like, I had an exit strategy. Like, I grew up in Berkeley, and I had an exit strategy. I was like, <laughs> if my parents are not okay, or when my family isn't okay, like, I have these friends and these friends and these friends that I know would let me stay with them, or I have these this auntie who would let me, you know, like, I had mm -hmm. plans. But if you're in a situation where you live in the middle of Wyoming or somewhere and you don't have anyone supportive around you except the internet. I don't want that person to be like, I'm going to come out and then be put in a really unsafe scenario that they can't deal with. Like that's also not good. Like I can't put my values of what I think you should do on you because I'm not in that person's situation, you know? Right. Right. Well, I was going to ask you what your, what your advice would be for people listening still in the closet considering coming out but i think you gave pretty good advice right there yeah you know? find find the supportive people in your life like test the waters like like odds are if you're thinking about coming out you've thought about the people in your life yeah. that are going to be supportive and tell those people so that they know what's going on with you like and because there's a lot of mental and emotional strain that goes with trying to hold in a secret like that about something about you that's so fundamental um and i hope that that all of those fears aren't you know real and we build them up in our heads and the people in our lives are better but you know like be safe and come out at your own speed do you remember i mean was there a moment in your life that you remember like looking at yourself in the mirror and for the first time like accepting you for you i mean i i remember looking in the mirror one time and saying you're gay and it was now i look back and it's kind of funny that i like looked at myself in the mirror i'm like you're gay but i remember just like crying because i was like the first time i accepted it for me you know i didn't really like looking in mirrors much 
growing up. Like, it was not really, like, I just, it was very uncomfortable, and I didn't know why. You know, I just didn't like the way I looked. I thought I was, and everyone, everyone in my life was like, you're like, my. I was a, a child model for a while. My mom was a model. My sister was a model. Like, I knew that people would, like, comment on my red hair, my freckles, and people thought I was mm. a cute kid. But, like, I didn't like anything that I looked at when I looked in a mirror and it wasn't until after I had top surgery and I had been on testosterone for a while that I like looked in a mirror and was like I can deal with this <laughs> like wow. it was it's still very hard for me like uh, my husband is always like you can't talk anymore you won the biggest gay beauty pageant there is like you're not allowed <laughs> to say you're attractive <laughs> and I'm like fine but like I accept that other people think that I'm attractive and I accept and I'm I'm actually pretty okay with my body now as it is um but it's still a huge fight for me to like think of myself as attractive like for myself so is that like a ever evolving journey for you or do you think you're kind of going to be stuck in this forever i mean i i mean i don't know like i i i don't know if, if there's going to be a point in my life where i'm just like whatever like i think that i'm at the, the the peak though like i i accept there's certain parts about my body and my you know who i am that i really enjoy um i don't think anybody that i don't think there are many many people in the world that like fully are like i'm hot shit and i'm like i don't there's not a lot of that you know like i accept i'm just gonna take that sound bite and put it on youtube i'm hot <laughs> shit <laughs> that's my actual opinion yeah um like i I accept that there are people out there that find me attractive and I accept the things about me that I notice that people notice the most. Um, and I accept that as factual to some degree because I don't, I'm not, I don't have the right perspective on it to have the right opinion. You know, like that's something it's like being called an asshole. Like I don't really get to say I'm not an asshole. Other people get to have that opinion. Like I don't really think of myself right. as attractive, but other people can think that and I accept that. Um, and I also accept the people who don't think that about me. I'm like, okay, like, I don't think everybody's attractive either. Like, and there's things about my body and my life that I accept that I like, but that's kind of it, you know, like, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm better, better there than where I used to be. Now, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about your transition now that we're kind of talking about body image. And if any of these questions come across as like inappropriate, just slap me across I'm, the face and spit in my mouth. I don't mouth, have a but... TMI level. Like, I'll answer. <laughs> okay. <that>. Like... <laughs> um, I, I'm curious to know that what what was going on in your head and in, in, your, in your mind and in your heart the first time you took hormones. Yay! Like, that was kind of... <laughs> like i hate needles so that sucked but I, other than that i was like when i first took hormones i remember it very clearly i i had been waiting and wanting to do this for years and there was always some level of red tape or issue or uh, you know hard time trying to figure out insurance and what was going to get covered and what wouldn't and how i was going to pay for it and i remember i took uh because they suggested that i bring a friend with me who uh, would help me give shots at some point if I wasn't going to come in to do it. And I had a friend who was starting out in the beginning of medical school and was just like, okay, come with me. And we went to Lion Martin in San Francisco and I saw my, my NP and was like, okay. And I'm, I'm like laying on my stomach on the, 
you know, on this table and they have the needle out. My friend is sitting in the corner watching and I'm like, this is going to happen. Awesome. And my, my, I remember my MP saying, now remember, you can't put this in your own butt because that could be dangerous. And then me and my friend looking at each other and trying not to laugh. Like that was, <laughs> was a very clear memory in my mind. Um, but yeah, that it was that that I felt on like cloud nine that whole day. I was like, this is something I've been wanting since I was 15 years old, you know? And at that point I was 23. So it was... And when did you start to notice more masculine features like the facial hair or the, 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 or did you always have a deep voice? I mean, I always had a deep voice. It got deeper with, with testosterone, but I always kind of had a deep voice. So, um, that, that was that I, I didn't notice that except the, you know, the squeaky thing, uh, that happened. You went from, you went from my voice to your voice from up here to down here. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. I was, and it always happened when I got emotional, like whether Mm -hmm. that was excited or angry or sad, like, uh, like I was at the time when I first started, I was working at GameStop and someone would come in and like ask about a game and I'd get all excited talking about it and you'd go, "Ah," you know, and I, like, excuse me and i'd walk in the back room and I'd just look, look down on the ground and my boss would be like did it happen again and i was like shut up you know like <laughs> so, and i didn't i didn't have anything really except like maybe one or two little hairs tiny little bits of peach fuzz like almost nothing for about seven years <laughs> after i started testosterone wow. like this this is still fairly new <laughs> like, wow um so when people are like, I'm not growing facial hair, and I'm like, yeah, you don't get a choice. Like when people right. say that they want a microdose and they they they're more on the androgynous end or non-binary, they want to like they want these results, but they don't want these results. And I'm like, if you want a microdose, that's totally fine. Like do whatever you want at your speed. However, you don't get a choice in what happens and in what degree and at what time. So you like, don't get to go like christmas shopping for all these features like your body just reacts to the testosterone how it reacts to the testosterone. however it naturally would if you had testosterone in your system and i always say like if Mm -hmm. you are a person who your background is generally a hairier type of person um like i will say this all of my friends that were jewish that like started taking testosterone had a beard like the next fucking week and i was always so mad i was like (laughs) freaking hate you like and like but like that's what you're physically if you're if your family is has male pattern baldness gene in it that's going to probably your body is going to move to having a beer belly as opposed to having hips like and it's gonna like you don't come out of all these things with a chiseled six pack just because you're on testosterone you know like <laughs> certain things are going to happen to you in certain degrees at certain times and nobody can tell you what that is right, right. so like I have a lot of friends who are like, I want a little bit of facial hair. I, you know, I don't want my clitoris to grow that much or I don't want this and this. And I'm like, well, it's a grab bag. So good What luck. would you like, say <laughs> after being on testosterone for so long, what would you say is your, your um, I guess, favorite feature that has changed in you? And what, what would you say is your maybe least favorite? I mean, I definitely say the facial hair. Um, I I remember my dad didn't really know how to relate with me much when I was a kid. Um, he grew up with all brothers, you know, and a bunch of male cousins. And so there wasn't a lot of... I was the first 
girl grandchild even and so like i was alone with a bunch of boys for a very long time um and so he like would sit me up on top of you know the counter next to the, in the bathroom and he taught me how to shave when i was a little little kid you know <laughs> so i was waiting for this you know and it took forever so um and i once i realized it was going to be red too i was like well great um so the facial hair is definitely that. Um, and then the some of the body structure stuff. Um, so I was like, uh, up until recently, I was very proud of my six pack and now it is not non-existent. So I need to, I don't need to go back to the gym. Um, Me too. I'm, I'm yeah. blaming COVID, but only for so long. <laughs> oh, it's totally COVID. Um, but then my, I think my least favorite thing that's happened um, in general is, fuck, um, I still get hot flashes all the fucking time. Um, and most most guys uh, in my position that are on testosterone, they kind of, that, that kind of ebbs at a certain point. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you had a hysterectomy, especially if you've done a bunch of other stuff. If you've been on tea long enough and your period stops, you tend to stop once that menopausal phase is over. Like, you don't get as many hot flashes or any. Um, and there's a few of us that will just get them forever. And I am unfortunately one of those people. Um, so like, I like the, they come and go uh, the last like week and a half I've had, I get them all night and they're terrible. And so I don't sleep very much cause I'm just sweating. And then I'm cold cause I'm covered in cold sweat. And then I try to go back to sleep and then I wake up cause I'm sweating. <laughs> so wow, yeah, that part sucks. I can imagine. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> not fun. <laughs> no, not at all. Like it's coming from inside you. You can't do anything about it. Like <laughs> So, let's say someone's listening right now who is either considering going on testosterone or or going through uh, their own transition. Um what would be maybe a word of advice to those people? Um well, there are a few things that I feel like people don't talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. that I feel like if you did talk about them with people before they started transitioning, it would ease it a little bit. Um, the thing that I think people don't talk about at all is that, yes, there's the, the whole thing of like, if you're on testosterone, like you get really horny about every, like you're just humping everything. And that's not untrue. (laughs) Like there's definitely a surge. Um, like I can tell the days I'm going to be particularly horny because there's so many days after a shot for me. Like I figured it out. Um, but in the beginning, you don't really understand how much it's going to affect you. If you microdose, it tends to be a little bit less because it's not like a huge chill to the system, but you're still gonna, you know, your mood swings, you're going to feel horny a lot more. It's, it's a lot. Um, but in that, if you are someone who is identifying as male and you're st- or or you're generally attracted to women and you've never been attracted to men before you might at some point during those first few years become attracted to a dude and it'll probably freak you out a little bit if the curse the curse men right it it, does, it happens and it's just like it doesn't have to change your sexuality or you know mm-hmm. be a huge thing for you if you don't want it to be but it is something that probably will happen. And um, I know this only because of almost every single trans guy that I've ever met <laughs> that has been into women that started testosterone at some point <laughs> has a moment, at least one moment, or you're attracted to a dude and it freaks you out. Um, 
It freaked me out. Um, and I think that if someone had told me that or had talked to me about it, I might not have freaked out as badly. Um, and it also like didn't change who I was at the time, but it definitely, it, it once I allowed it to be a thing instead of like fighting against something that I thought I wasn't, mm-hmm. um, it ended up being a lot better for my life in general. So there is that. Um, also, it doesn't change who you are. Like it's, you're not all of a sudden going to be braver or, you know, any of these things that you think might happen, you're not going to come out of your top surgery with, you know, pecs of steel, you know, like there's all these built up ideas, like everything in my life will change if I just do this. And a lot of things will change. The way that people see you will change. The way people respond to you will probably change. And you will notice like male privilege in ways that you didn't think would happen in your life. Um, And to be aware of those things and to not take advantage of them Uh um i think are things that people should be aware of and consistently thinking of when your body is changing um and you see people treating you differently um and to not forget where you came from like and to not forget like i had my my legal given name tattooed on my back because it is still a part of me, despite how much yeah. I, you know, didn't like who I was then. It is still a part of who I am and why I am the person I am. And it's behind me. And I So it's it's really there. a marker of the journey that you've been on. Yes. Like, I'm not saying people should do that. If there's a whole lot of toxic memories to go along with it, that's what I did with it. But who you were is directly responsible for who you are now. Mm-hmm. And if you forget all of that, you tend to make a lot of the same mistakes, <laughs> even if you decide to transition. So essentially what you're saying is, you, you know, you can you can change all of the physical features of yourself, but it's not going to change your integrity, your your respect, your honor, your how you view yourself from the inside, all of those things. Exactly. Got it. Well, I, I really want to uh, thank you for, for sharing that perspective with us. And um, I hope that some listeners can relate in some ways and maybe take some of those words of wisdom that you shared today. Um, as we go on, I do want to talk a little bit more about coming into leather for you. Um, obviously, you're Mr. International fucking leather. Uh, <laughs> like... It's still weird. It's still like, like, I did that. I did that thing. <laughs> So, okay, when did you first discover leather and, like, what was it? I'll just, I'll leave it there. When did you first discover leather? Uh, I was probably about 11 or 12 in there somewhere, and my dad was a car salesman. He still is. Yeah, he worked at Honda, and he brought home one of, like, the new uh, Honda model uh, motorcycles, uh, little magazine thing Mm -hmm. and i remember looking at that and a i love motorcycles (laughs) but i was just like i was looking at it and i saw all the models and the dudes and all the leather and like all this stuff and i was i remember thinking in my mind very distinctly that is what cool looks like like that (laughs) is um and ever since then like that was the aesthetic that i wanted to be like i remember really wanting a leather jacket like all through high school and you know i i like stole my mom's pleather one at one point you know and i like you know but i could never afford a leather jacket uh 
but I tried, you know, that, so that was always sort of where I leaned in my style or I wanted to. Um, I was very hot topic version of that for a long time. Uh, and then, as, and I was always kinky. Like I, I'd been a dog for all of my friends since I was in, like a little, little, little like, infanty type kid. Like I barked, I, I, I was always the dog when we played house and things. Like I, that so was always- this is like an inherent life. trait of yours is oh, yeah. being a pub. Okay. And my family called me Fang, like for most of my childhood, that was my kid nickname. And so like, I always knew I was kinky. I discovered furries when I was about 14, 15 years old, maybe like, and I sort of always went with that. Wow, to uh, grow up in Berkeley, my God. <laughs> well, I, I learned what, what furries were from um, Sex 2K, that show from uh, on MTV. Uh, and I because I, I had an episode on furries and I was like, oh my God, there's and like, so that was a huge push for me because there weren't pups then. Like wow. that wasn't a thing really. And so I, I slowly grew in my kink there and I always loved, you know, growling and getting really rough with people during sex. Um, and as I got older and the internet became more of a thing that you could navigate easily, like, I, you know, hopped on LiveJournal and other like, you know, um, chat room type stuff with other people that were furries and that were into kinkier things and slowly discovered meeting friends and lovers who were also sort of into stuff like that, getting more into the leather community, like uh, mm -hmm. uh, International Miss Leather and um, San Francisco, um, you know, those contests were some of the first like leather specific things I went to when I was younger. Um, and I remember just like loving every bit of it and really getting to know the people in it and feeling very at home pretty early. Yeah. So, I mean, you discovered it at such a young age. Um, and I, 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 talking to a lot of people over, over leather talk, um, you know, that's not uncommon to like discover leather that, that early. When did you first step into like a leather bar or like a hypersexualized space like that i mean i've been going to gay bars since i was not old enough to go to gay bars um, <laughs> um but i i mostly went to uh, the white horse because of i was a drag king and i started doing drag when i was about 22. so i i was always in that kind of space but it was very like women and trans heavy like there weren't a lot of cis men that showed up for our show for for a good many years um and I, I went to my first leather bar when I was 21, 22. Um, I went into the Eagle and quickly left <laughs> because it was terrifying. The uh, one in San Francisco or? Yeah, the one in San Francisco. And I was just like, I, nope, this is this. this <laughs> well, what was terrifying about it? <laughs> I, was, I was a very tiny little like trans guy and I walked into this very gay men's space that was very like intimidating, leathered out looking gay, bearded gay guys. And I was like, ah, no. And like, like <laughs> especially because I was so very like, I'm not into men. And huh. this was very much an I'm into men scene. And I was like, nope, because the, the few men that did hit on me for the most part when I was younger were all like much, much older men much older, um, who saw me and I looked at me and I had no facial hair. I was very, very small. And I was like, I know what I look like. And that makes me uncomfortable. 
that like a man in his 60s and 70s was hitting on me who looked like I was probably maybe still in high school, probably still in high school. And I was like, eh, and that made me uncomfortable. Like now I see relationships of people that look much younger that are with people that are much older. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, I don't see any issue there at all. Cause that's a lot more of a, a cultural thing with gay men than it is. But for me at that age, I was like, nope. And I <laughs> um, <laughs> scared and me away. <laughs> scared the hell out of me. Um, and I, it wasn't really until I was, um, probably only until I, like probably 2015 2016 that I start in any way going into leather spaces and feeling remotely okay about doing it. Like I knew I was leather, but I was still very heavily in the, in the women's and trans uh, more comfortable scene. So I didn't really go into a lot of men's spaces and think that I felt comfortable or safe being there. Um, it really took being friends with a lot more gay men, meeting my husband and getting getting him more comfortable with the, with the leather scene out here, um, and introducing him to the few people that I knew, that mm -hmm. I started sort of being more comfortable being in the gay men's, you know, uh, culture there. Because uh, my husband was Mr. San Francisco in 2017. And so kind of watching his journey and then me doing the bare chest calendar um, and being really getting really close with those men and going to events and seeing more gay men and having gay men see me as someone who was a part of that and not an outsider made me feel a lot more comfortable in that space. So I'm curious how the um, sexual play works for you. I mean, obviously a lot of places, especially in Chicago, we have like the back rooms and um, you know, I, I do know love what... those back rooms in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what goes on back there. I've never been there, but um, <laughs> how, how do you navigate the bars now? Um, you know, being through the journey that you've been through, coming to where you are now. I mean, it's like night and day. Like, granted, like I walk into almost any leather bar wearing this vest, and I'm gonna be like, oh, like it's an immediate like hierarchy thing of like, oh God, International Mr. Leather is here or an International Mr. Leather is here. You obviously aren't paying for drinks all night. Like if I want to, if all I want right. to drink for free because I'm broke, I go to a leather bar, you know, like, but I'll probably <laughs> go to them anyway. Um, but I definitely like, I, I feel a lot more comfortable now. I actually very recently had a friend who has been kind of thinking about transitioning for a long time. And he's like, I don't, how do I go in and I feel like a man versus a boy? Like, how do, like, how am I going to have people accept me? And I'm like, look, I felt super uncomfortable and out of place in the beginning of my leather journey when I really was like, I'm a man, I'm leather, I want to go into this space. How do I not feel, you know, how do I feel comfortable? And I just faked it till I made it. Like, I literally would just walk in and I acted like I belonged there. I made sure that I, I'm a volunteer person. Like I'm part of Volanon, like I have my patch. Um, <laughs> and so I, I purposely was like, I'm going to volunteer for as much stuff as possible. And I would perform at shows and I would, I would do stage management for shows and at bar stuff and at things in the community because that's how you meet people and that's how people meet you. That's how people know your face and feel comfortable with you in those spaces. And doing bare chest was very helpful with that. So it's like, if you find a niche and you can get yourself comfortable in that space, great. So now after doing that for so many years and, and having this, like I walk into those spaces and I feel very comfortable. Like, oh yeah, this is my home now. This is where I belong. 
going into like back rooms of stuff is still hard for me because I'm always questioning, is this a men's only space? What kind of men's only space is this? Is it a men's only space that actually adheres to it being all men? Or is this like, a, if I take off my pants right now, is everyone gonna fucking flee? Like, what situation is this gonna be? Am I gonna bother hooking up at a place like this? Is anybody going to like, want to hook up with me in a place like this? Um, so I, I'm always doing that in my high, like how safe is it if I take my towel off at this bathhouse? You know, like, I see. Uh, what situation am I gonna be in? I almost never go into places like that without somebody, like either a friend or a partner that I'm intending to hook up with. Um, I very, very rarely go into back rooms or bathhouses or any of those kinds of spaces without a buddy. Um, I could now, I'm pretty sure I could and it'd be fine, but like there's always a risk factor. Right, right. Um, you just have, as you're talking, I have like a million questions run through my head and now I have to go back and figure out which ones I want to ask. <laughs> but, um, so essentially what you're saying is you got yourself involved with events. You, you, you didn't expect people to just come and welcome you with open arms. You kind of just got yourself in there, got yourself involved and made your way through the community that way. Yeah, I've been volunteering for IMSL since pretty much the first year I started going. This this year, if, if IMSL had happened this year, this would have been my 10-year anniversary going. And wow. so I had been volunteering pretty much every year up until a couple years ago when I was like, no, I'm just going to go. <laughs> and like, I still end up volunteering, I still end up doing all this stuff because people know that they can depend on me after that many years of doing it. And that's the point. Like, to get in, meet the people that are running things, you become someone who they know they can depend on. So even if you go to an event, they'd be like, oh, you, I know that you're this good person. Cause it's a lot of word of mouth there. Like I have so many people that always, I'm like, hey, do you know this person? What do you know about them? Are they a good person? There's yeah. references that happen. And I always, I'm like, I want good references. You know, <laughs> like. So I'm curious if you have ever uh, experienced any pushback for kind of involving yourself in the leather community in the beginning at least for being a trans person and then also do you have you faced any pushback currently as mr international leather as a trans person um i did a little in the beginning um when i started hanging out in leather bars um i knew enough people that had either that were title holders or had been or like I was there with a with a purpose. So I didn't really get a lot of pushback in a lot of situations that way. And I didn't put myself in situations sexually to to possibly get pushback there either. Like I'm very safe and cautious when it comes to that sort of thing, because uh, you have to be in my position like you, you're a it, little strategic <laughs> where you put yourself. Yeah, like and it sucks that I can that someone has to consistently think about their safety in what's supposed to be a safe environment, but it is like what you have to do, and or it's what I've had to do, and I got pushback after I won. Like literally, literally, I I went through like three very big things. I I won. I heard my name, and I was like, "Fuck, no, really, no." No, like, and so it was immediate, like, that isn't happening. They must have called me by mistake. And then this wash over of, holy shit, I did it. I did it. I, oh my God. Like, I was really, and I'm excited. And then immediately, what's going to happen on Facebook tomorrow? Because I knew it was going to happen on Facebook the next day. I knew that there was going to be, 
like I saw what happened with Tyler when he won, you know, and I, and I, I knew that it would be better in a way because it's been, it had been almost 10 years. The community yeah. has moved the needle a lot in that way, but we still, I knew there was going to be pushback. I knew there were going to be assholes that were all like, you know, he's not a real man or whatever. Um, and I knew that I had the backing of IML and I knew I had the backing of my brothers and I knew I had the backing of my husband and my family and everybody else that I knew. So I honestly don't give a crap about people's opinions that I've never fucking met. You know, like I, other people, thankfully, very quickly came to my defense and there became a whole hashtag thing about it um, after I won, which I... I was so busy, like, in shock that I had won in the first place that I didn't even really pay attention until yeah. I got home. I'm like, oh, shit, a bunch of shit happened. This guy lost his job. Like, <laughs> um, but I was very thankful for that because I can't... The, the love and support I felt for my community all around the world, that when people was like, Jack is my IML, when that... I, I can't describe the, the the warm feelings I felt for that. Like it was it was so intense and amazing. Um, and people shut up pretty much after that. Like I think they knew. Like if I have a public opinion about this and it's negative, I'm gonna get slapped for it. You know. So. <laughs> you know. It's interesting that you talk about sort of like whatever controversy happened after you you won because it is sort of indicative of kind of who you are. Like you said, you know not being comfortable i mean you've ruffled some feathers your whole life and now here you are but what sort of change are you really creating in the community if you're not ruffling a few feathers right yeah yeah exactly like it, people until they're put up against something and they they find out that their opinion is not the popular opinion um which granted in my if you've been on facebook at all or on twitter or anywhere on the internet and you're around the leather community and you think that your public opinion about like this trans man should win this title because he's not a man. If you think that's an opinion you can have publicly and you're not going to get a fuck ton of backlash about it, that's your own fault. Like, yeah. <laughs> you obviously yeah. aren't reading things very well. Um, I also am like, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And again, I don't really give a crap if someone doesn't like me, especially if they've never met me. Anyone who, pretty much anyone who's met me can attest that I'm a fairly solid human and that I am a man and that I I worked my ass off and I won that title fair and fucking square and if you have a problem with it then I'm not like I'm not unlike any other IML there's every single person who's ever won any contest ever especially IML there is a faction of people who are going to tell you that someone else should have won or that you shouldn't have Right. It doesn't matter what the reason is or what you look like or where you're from. There's always going to be pushback for something. I just happen to have a very large, like a a pretty obvious reason why people were going to give me some shit for it. Well, it's just so funny because, you know, I I mean, no one literally, no one came up to me and told me that I shouldn't have won Mr. Bullet Leather. But I, I did hear some people like talk about, you know, oh, I heard a couple people say this or that. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, it's not my fault I won. Like, I didn't choose me to be the winner. That's <laughs> like, why don't you get fault. me? That's not my fault. <laughs> don't get mad at me. <laughs> I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, the amount of people who blame the title holder and don't blame the judges is astounding. <laughs> like, 
Like I, I just got up there. It was up to them. Right. Where I wasn't. Um, but yeah, like totally. There's all oh, there's even if you don't hear about it and you win a title, I guarantee there are people out there that are tell that are tell talking to each other and saying that you shouldn't have won or someone yeah. else should have won. And that's just part of the community that we have is that we're a bunch of gossipy <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> and I, like, me and my husband gossip to each other all the time, but that's standard. Like, I, I try to, right. you know. If somebody won a title, they won for a reason, and I it's not up to me unless I'm one of those judges to to have an opinion about it at that point. Right, right. I'm curious to know, just knowing kind of your past and, and your your coming through the the leather journey here, where would you like to see the leather community go from here? Where's the future for you? Well, you know, if you'd asked me that six months ago, I don't I think my answer would have been a little bit different, but because of corona and i keep hearing about people saying well when we can get back to normal and the issue with thinking that way is that you're not living in the moment that we are in now we're not gonna go back to normal like the what we're looking at now and the things that we're dealing with as a country and as a society we're not gonna be able to go back to what it looked like before it's always going to look a little bit different and even if we can go back to having in like a lot of in-person stuff and we can go back to having contests and things. How comfortable are we going to feel going to something like IML or MAL or CLAW with that many thousands of people in the same space? It's going to be a long time. And I think that especially the title circuit specifically, and I know that some areas are working on this as it is, but originally these titles, even IML started in a bar. They started in bars. Um, they originally you know, started to help support those bars and to get people in the door yeah and places like san francisco who have more local titles than anywhere else in the world they're you know those title holders at the eagle and powerhouse and you know like all those local folks are working on keeping their communities together they're working on keeping those bars and play spaces open and alive for when we can start seeing each other again in a public way And I think that that's what our communities need to be doing. We need to go backwards in a way and focus on our individual communities and really try to survive this. Mm -hmm. Like we're here right now. People are fighting about, well, I'm a drag performer. And if I I can't go into that bar anymore because I found out the owner's an asshole. It's like, well, that bar might not be open (laughs) in another year when we can start really going back into places again in the same way so let's focus on stuff we can do right now to survive this situation to get people out and vote to doing the things we need to be doing to make sure that we can be better later Mm -hmm. yeah no in some way it was so funny because um i remember right when covid happened um you know there was a lot of talk about well, are we going to have the contest? Are we not going to have the contest? It all—it was all about the contest for a, a number of weeks, and I'm like sitting here thinking, like, why are we talking about the, a contest when there's people all are dying? People are dying. <laughs> yeah, where are our priorities here? And eventually, it kind of we kind of came full circle and realized, okay. But it was just so interesting to me to see that there was so many people worried about the contest. I'm like, it's just a fucking contest. Like, what about the bars that are closed? We've lost five bars maybe more just in los angeles club cobra just down the street here uh, next to the bullet who's been around for it's been a staple of north hollywood 
for the longest time gone, just completely yep. gone. Um, you know, and I, you know, hopefully the bullet sticks around for <clears throat> for a while and makes it through this. But like, we just don't know. And yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that, like, we kind of do have to go back to our roots and realize, like, these titles were created to support these bars. Like, that needs to be our priority right now. It's it's not about getting up on that stage at IML right now and being as pretty and greased up as you can be in the, in this hundreds of dollars of leather that you just bought. It's about making sure that we have a place to call home when this is over. And it, as much as, like, our bars are our safe spaces, mm-hmm. We, we are running out of safe spaces in a time where nothing in our world, depending on what happens, especially in November, most places will not be safe anymore. Like we're going backwards there too. And if we don't really, you know, build up our walls and give us safe spaces to be where we know that we can, we can, you know, not have to hide ourselves. If this, if this administration, if we get another four years of Trump, and we don't have leather bars to go to, where are we gonna go? Yeah, it really it really will be, we as a society will be forced backwards 50 years and we're gonna have to learn how to deal with that today. As, 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 a, as a person of color, as a trans person, as a gay person, like there's a number of, like I, years back, I remember being like, we're at the beginning of V for Vendetta. That's where we are now. Like I'm about to get black bag, like I'm, I'm very actually afraid of that happening mm-hmm. in the future yeah. and like we've had the conversations of how to defend our home and like what what we need to do if situations get really bad and the fact that we're having those conversations and at the same time we're still arguing over petty little shit in our community terrifies me because this is why this is why we we had trump in the first place is because we're not focusing on things that we need to be focusing on right now as a community and that's staying safe, staying healthy, and and being there for each other. Mm-hmm. Whether that's on a micro or macro level. Like we, uh, me and my husband just went on with our pod and a little bit of an extended pod of people. We all went away for a weekend in, you know, middle of rural West Virginia in a, a friend's house that they have up there you know, with no reception, just us set in a campfire in a nice house, you know? And there were about 12 of us there. We all got tested right before and had negative results. We hung out there all together and like made meals together and played, you know, out on the property. My husband tied me to a tree and hit me with, you know, a flogger for a while. Oh, no, that like, kind of play. <laughs> I thought you were talking about yeah, badminton. Like, <laughs> and, like, we, like, and we brought yeah. the dogs, you know, and we hung wow. out and then, and we just had a great time. And then when we got back, we got tested again and or quarantined. And that's, we used to have, you know, runs, like motorcycle clubs had runs that you went on. That's where the pins came from. It's like, you got a pin for each run you went on. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna go have to go back to that of having the small groups, of having the families be really important. Having, you know, your chosen family and people that you spend time with and these runs that we go on be important for our togetherness because we might not have places to go to in our cities anymore. Mm -hmm. And, if we aren't focused on keeping it together, we're not focusing on the right shit right now. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. In some ways this could make us, I mean, this could go two ways. It could totally destroy us as a community or it could make us that much stronger. And I'm hoping that it's the latter. 
Yeah. I want to believe that it's the latter as well. I, I I believe so hard in this community. It has been there for me when I've been at my lowest points. It has stood up for me on a worldwide scale. It has it has fed me and kept me, you know, in contact with my husband. It has been so many things for me for so long that I believe that we really do have it in us to survive this and to be better for it. I just, I really hope that we actually do that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we can, and I think we will. Um, one, one last question for you about your leather experience. Um, you know, I, the thing about leather for me is it started off as, as kind of like a hypersexualized, and obviously it, it is and always hopefully will be about sex <laughs> to some degree. But mm-hmm. uh, there's been so many moments where I can picture it now being at the Eagle, for example, and not, no sex is even happening around me, but just stopping my tracks and looking around and saying, wow, like this moment right now is so special. I mean, do you have any... What are some of your fondest memories and moments in the leather community with or without the sexual aspect involved? Um, I mean, I have quite a few, there's so many. I guess like, I think my first, my first time at IML was really important. I was only there for a couple of days um, because I was working at Mr. S at the time and I wasn't on the away team. I was still a fairly new employee, but my husband was running. So they were like, okay, if you leave on like, we'll let you go on Friday, but you have to be back by Monday to work. And I was like, okay. So (laughs) I remember just just showing up there and seeing like the volume of people. Gosh. Like on average, it's somewhere between 20 and 22,000 people show up for IML every year. Like I'm I'm from the Bay. I'm used to a lot of gay folks at events, but holy shit. Like just to see that. And to be in the room for that contest for the first time was so intense and amazing. Um, even after my years of going to IMSL, like it's a it's a very different uh, experience. Not better or worse, just very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think that was a, a huge moment for me. I think um, the first time I ever went to a, to a uh, to a bathhouse and like was actually there with the intention to fuck was <laughs> with with a man was like a very big deal for me because uh, I was nervous as fuck just being in a space like that and not having any clothes on was terrifying um, but he was a very large attractive man and he was there with me and so I was like okay I feel better and then I had really amazing sex in a space with a bunch of other people having really amazing sex and it was just like this this is this is what this is about like (laughs) (laughs) this is everything i heard of um and then of course being being on that stage and winning and being and and looking back at the people who i had been on that journey with including my husband who had been running for international boot black at the same time as me but like being there and and meeting and seeing all these guys who had the same goal as me who were all like nobody was was a poopy pants like not one of my brothers was being a poopy pants about it like i know that there were some hurt feelings people had to take their time but for i don't i can't name one of my brothers that wasn't completely supportive of me so and i know and that's a rarity yeah. with that people and that many personalities especially those the strong personalities that you kind of have to be to run for a title of that level yeah, like definitely just 
seeing my whole experience kind of flash before my eyes was a monumental moment and having my husband like run out and scoop my ass up off the ground you know it was just like oh shit it's real like he's here oh my god like <laughs> um i think those those moments are some of my biggest ones it sounds like some of your most memorable moments are the ones who involved other people to some degree. I'm I'm not I'm not a solo wolf, you know, like I I'm definitely I am molded and made by the people that I'm around and I think everybody is to a degree and I I know that like I'm not I'm not a leader in a lot of ways, like I'm much more comfortable following. I'm much more com- like I'm I'm, a, I'm very good at doing things. Like even the I'm working on this table that we just got that's right and you're my, standing my, at your table <laughs> my friend came over and helped and made this dining room table and i was like i want to learn how to do this i'm really good at taking direction i'm not good at doing things on my own and even in that like i my friends came over and helped me do this thing and they told me what to do and i did it like i'm very good at that it makes yeah. me a good sub you know like it makes me a good submissive like <laughs> very good at being told what to do and doing it well, um, speaking of being told what to do and doing it, um, Jack, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about some sex. Huh? <laughs> so, okay, let's start from the beginning. What are your kinks? What are your fetishes? What do you get into? Um, I'm actually pretty basic. Like, I like I'm a, I identify as a wolf, not a pup. It's a very important okay. distinction. Um, I'm also a furry. Uh, which kind of crosses those boundaries. Um, when it comes to cis men, I only bottom. Um, okay. So like I I I that's that's all I feel comfortable doing with cis men. Um, I've always been when it came to like women and other people that I've had sex with, it really depends on the chemistry. But I'm still a submissive because I'm still like I'll do whatever you want me. To but you have to tell me what you want me to do. <laughs> like, I'll be as I'll be like a fucking dom top, like really rough play, or I'll be super submissive or whatever else you want me to do. But you have to tell me what you want, you know. I see. Um, and in general, like I like floggers. I like thud in general. Like you will not come near me with a single tail. Like I do not like stingy pain at all. Um, I like some electro, but like not a whole lot. Um, I biting um bondage uh any most impact play when it comes like i said study stuff um i really i enjoy like me and my husband are in a 24 7 ds relationship he collared me before he asked me to marry him so like that was much more important um and i also now very recently during covid i now have a boy uh so i'm an alpha now um and i identify like i'm a submissive but i'm also an alpha like when it comes to me being in wolf or like animal play spaces like i'm not a submissive type like if you take hold of me like my husband does it's a trainer situation and he has earned the, that right to be above me in the hierarchy most people have not so like there's a distinction and my boy lives in oregon and he's wonderful um but I'm still learning how to do that, like be in that position in this, so at this point. So would you consider yourself like a, a switch, quote unquote, or or are you more of like a, I, I need direction? I need, <laughs> so you're I need direction. I need direction. Like that's I most of the time, like with, I'm learning how to think on my own and, and learning how to 
have a boy and like what that means and like what my role is to him for what he needs me to be and what I need him to be and how to be self-sufficient in that, um, which is a very new experience for me. But in general, like I am what people need me to be. Like I am, I am a jack of all trades as it was. Like I will. I love that. <laughs> a jack right? of all trades. How cute. <laughs> like, I will, I will learn to do or do what you want me to do and what you need me to be. But you have to tell me what that thing is. Like even when I'm stage managing for a show, like, I always have to ask the producers. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by this? Because do you want me to be an actual stage manager? Do you need me to like, be like, do you need a diva wrangle and be like, you are on in 10, like you are on in 15, like make sure everyone has their shit together and yell at people if I need to, like, or am I a glorified stage boy and I pick up people's tips? Like, what do you need me to be? Uh, but be specific. <laughs> but, you know, I think that that is really, um again indicative of who you are and especially as you know a leader now in the leather community being a leader who is of service to his community that is so important you know i, I can't tell you how many people came up to me once i won mr bullet leather and they're like please don't be like other title holders who disappear like now that you have the title and i'm like well like hi i'm brandon first of all nice to meet you <laughs> second of all <laughs> Well, there's two things there, right? So there's a, if you, the people who get into being a title holder and they're, you know, they see like you're up in lights, you get all this attention or whatever. <laughs> being a title holder is a service title, no matter right. what title it is, because you're representing a number of people and you are now of service to that community. And that right. is your job whether that's a bar title or IML or international Miss Leather or person of leather, whatever that may be, you are of service now to that community. Mm -hmm. And you at least have to be of service to the amount to fulfill your contract, no matter how small or big that contract is, but you, that's your job. Right. And in my opinion, if you have covered all the bases on your contract and you decide to just kind of say, I'm done for a while, you've done your contract and you don't owe anybody anything. That's completely fine and legitimate. Um, and after you're a title holder, especially for an international title of any kind, there's always a complaint that I've heard for many, many years that like, oh, they just disappear and they're gone and they're done. They did their thing and they left and whatever. And I'm like, I used to have that opinion as well sometimes. But I will say that there is nothing more intense than having this fucking title. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that's people's expectations of what you need to be doing or the actual running around from place to place to place to place and consistently being on, it's exhausting. It is, I, I was sick through most of my title year because I was- Well, also no one's paying you to do this. I mean- No one, no one. Yeah. It's all, you're on your own. Even if you have a title fund, you're still kind of on your own. And so when it's over, whether that's a break, like a few months or you take a year or you're like, I'm done, like I, I can't do this. I sure whatever you got to do. Like I, right. I plan on taking some time off, and then COVID happened before I was done, and I'm like, oh, I had a forced staycation. Great. Like right. I was, I'm totally on board for this. Um, right. I do miss my community, but like I needed the break. Like I needed some time to not have it be about me and to just spend time with my husband and to not be running around like a crazy person. Right, right. Well, back to sex, though. How are you staying kinky during COVID? 
Well, that trip that I went on with my friends and my husband <laughs> yeah. was a big part of that. Uh, we hadn't been able to play. Um, there was a, some drama uh, that some people may have heard about with my house, my housing situation, uh, and the person oh, okay. who was here, uh, who moved out, uh, had created a dungeon in our garage. Uh, to work out of and when they left they took everything with them and so i plan on rebuilding um most of that dungeon so we can play at home more uh we have the andrews cross in the house so like you know we've played on that a little bit but i'm you know i'm still in service so i'm still taking care of my husband uh which i would have done anyway uh because he's just he's a disabled vet and so i i take care of him and i do things of service for him but i'm not and i've been trying to experiment with how to be an alpha with my boy virtually because we're across the country from each other so there's right. you know like i i taught him how to do a high shine on his boots that he never done before you know and and i you know so just trying to find small things to stay connected to the community which involves sometimes being kinky and doing fun stuff but i'm focused more on just surviving and being happy you know right. and not being horribly full of anxiety and stressed out all the time and getting flogged right. helps with that sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah as, as you were saying earlier too like um every time you have your is, is it an injection of testosterone that you mm -hmm. get horny for like a period of days or something like that Yep, once so, once a week. Usually, like if I take my shot on Sundays, I'm usually eating everything and super horny from Tuesday to Wednesday, like, <laughs> and then it recycles every week. <laughs> exactly, and then it comes back down, and then it. Goes... <laughs> what What is a? Do you have like maybe a favorite memory of yours? A, a, maybe one of your favorite sex stories. <laughs> um. I always said my, my favorite like dungeon story or kink story or whatever um, involves my boy uh, actually when we it was like the second or third time we'd ever seen each other we were just hook up people for a while and he and another friend of mine had come to Imsel and I was super excited because I was like oh, we're gonna play at Imsel this would be great and then uh, it was right after the uniform party and I, uh, I had been told that my friends were going to show up in flight suits and do like the Top Gun look for, for the uniform party. And I'm like, I'm, I'm totally here for this. Top Gun is one of my favorite movies. Like, let's play with this. And then we met another one of my friends there who was also in a flight suit. So I'm like, hey, you want to join? Like, cool. So we all moseyed to the dungeon and did a humiliation Top Gun scene. Uh on the mats and we were like you know shoving my my boy like back and forth being like fucking pussy like and he's just like <laughs> you know like just fucking with him in, in a locker room setting and then uh, by the end of it like i'm fucking him and my the other two are holding him down and we're all except for him all off key singing you've lost that love and feeling <laughs> very loudly <laughs> in this dungeon <laughs> oh and he's God. he's like i fucking hate you guys <laughs> So I think like that is one of my like of all time like one of my favorite fucking scenes because it was just so ridiculous like it was like also back behind me I'm trying not to see in my eye line there's a clown scene about to happen and I am horribly afraid of clowns so oh, I'm wow. trying very hard to focus 
on this ridiculous situation that's happening in front of me <laughs> and not on the clowns that are right over here. <laughs> I mean, speaking of distractions, I mean, we've had, we've all had those moments where like something goes wrong. Right. And I, I always like to ask somebody about their kinks gone wrong. I mean, I, I like just a short little snippet here. The last time I had sex with my partner, I, we were like having a really hot moment. I was like, yeah, I'm into it. And then I, my fucking calf cramps up and I'm like, yeah. no, no, not now. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's happened a few times. <laughs> I mean, what, what are some of your maybe more embarrassing or king's gone wrong moments <laughs> um well i mean there's been a few with my wolf persona just because uh, i i've learned over time that i've had if i'm going to play with somebody and they want to play with me in that state not like a i'm gonna get a little growly and whatever during sex but like they want me to go into like my wolf headspace while we play i've learned that we have like they almost have to sign a waiver because it's like okay this is also an anger management like thing for me. So like you have to realize that depending on what the scene looks like, like either I have to be chained up or I have to be in a cage. Um, we now, like my husband has special gauntlets that he wears because I am not in or the right headspace for shit. And I will just tear at him if his arm, if any fleshy parts get to me. So he has like special things that he wears so oh that I God. don't like, and because there have been moments with women that I've dated, especially where they're like, I want to do this and I want to like top you or have you be. And I'm like, okay, well you have to make sure everything is like bolted down. Like it's <laughs> been <laughs> a lot of trial and error <laughs> of me getting loose and having it getting a little out of control and having to like really try to bring me back uh, to a place where I can like actually think clearly. Hmm. Um, so we've learned to use squeaky toys as safe words because I can hear that. Like that'll bring me out. I pretty see. Quick. So it's about negotiating prior to this and not as during or after because that's when things can go wrong. Right. And also taking people at their fucking word. Like we'll be like, oh, it'll be fine. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like things have been damaged because of this like we need to have a conversation you need to know what we're doing like i let my wolf persona go a little bit during one of my drag numbers that is usually my most popular drag number and the people that i've had that have had to hold my chains because i have two guards that hold chains to my neck and for a collar mm. and i run at the fucking audience like i'm like in that headspace and i'm about to attack someone and i'm like no you actually you have to wear non-slip boots you have to wear gloves like you have to be this far of a distance from me and if i start coming back like here's what things you can do and some people are like i'll be fine in these sneakers and i'm like okay well when your face is on the ground and you're bleeding you don't get to blame me because i warned you <laughs> what you need to be doing i just love how this sounds like one of those side effect commercials <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> may also cause like <laughs> i love it <laughs> Well, I know that you are um, involved with, with Onyx, is that correct? Mm -hmm. And are you involved with any other organizations as well? I have been in the past. Um, I was a founding father of Onyx Northwest and then I moved to the Mid-Atlantic chapter. Okay. Um, I've 
back in the Bay, I was involved, obviously, with the Veritas Calendar, which is sort of a club, not really, but everyone that's a part of it makes it feel like a club. Um, <laughs> you have a back patch, so technically. Um, I was involved with Queer Sphere, uh, which was an all-genders um, club uh, in San Francisco. Um, I've... You know, I I've I worked with uh, Hooker and the Boys a lot out here. Uh, let's see who else. Um, I've done events with a lot of other clubs, so I've been involved, but I haven't. Like, I've had a couple of clubs try to like court me over the last couple of years, I and like the, the Fifteen Association in San Francisco has courted me quite a bit. Uh, that's because my husband is a member, and I've gone to a lot of their parties, and I. I just, especially during my title year, I'm like, I'm not joining anything <laughs> right now. Right. Like, I have enough on my plate um, as it is. And like, I, I love being a member of Onyx, but it is also a lot of work. It is it is a lot of work to be, to, to pledge and to become a member of Onyx because there's a lot of expected of you. And I think that's what makes it a great club is that people feel like a lot of ownership over it because they've earned it they've done a lot it's not like a oh you want to be a member well volunteer for us for 15 hours and then you'll get a back patch it's like a no like there's a lot expected of you if you join it and i i think that if i was to join any other clubs in the future it would definitely have to be a, like a lot less work because <laughs> i just like i put in all the work with one club i can't do it with, with any i don't have that kind of time <laughs> like, what would you say is um what would you say is like the the takeaway from from being a part of an organization such as Onyx? Like, if you were going to describe it to people, like, how would you describe it? If I go anywhere in the United States, there is probably an Onyx chapter at least nearby that is doing something in the local community. And I I know that if I ever got stranded, needed a place to stay, needed to know that I had family somewhere, that I can depend on, like I can depend on Onyx no matter where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And that is something that a lot of clubs don't have. Like this, the, the, the amount of people and the, the chapters all over. Um, when I was moving, when I was planning on moving out to, to Baltimore from the Bay area, like I, you know, a couple of the members of the local chapter here got a hold of me and were like, Hey, we're here. You're moving. And then when I came out to look at houses, I met up with one of them and had a beer and was like, Hey, and so they got to know me a little, but, and I knew that if I landed here and needed help, I had that. Right. And that is a huge reason to join. Like we all, all of us feel alone at some point or another, especially if you move to a new place or we don't know people, if you're trying to get to know the community, like joining a club can be perfect for that. Cause you get to, you have backup. You know when you go into a place that that club is having an event there, you know you belong there, whether you feel like you belong in that space or not. Like, it's 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 a good grounding situation to feel safe. So it sounds a lot like um, there's a lot of fraternal aspects to this brotherhood. It is definitely, Onyx is, is modeled after black fraternities. Like that's definitely the, the feeling that you should have mm. when, you're, when you're joining. Um, a little less hazing than but a lot of a lot of service uh okay. in that. as you talked about hazing i'm just imagining like what would a kinky haze look like like how many did i know how is it any body? different than anything else we do like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, what would you uh how, how could we find out more about your chapter of onyx 
Mid-Atlantic. Uh, I mean, there's the Onyx website, uh, which you mm -hmm. can go to and then look up any information on any of the chapters. Uh, also, our chapters all have websites uh, individually that are you can link from that from that other website. Uh, and just like asking folks, like I know that like I, I had a lot of people just ask me straight out, like, hey, I know you're a member of Onyx or a member of this chapter. Can you tell me about it? Like, like the, Facebook has made it very easy for us to figure out who knows who. Mm hmm. And I've had a lot of people that I don't even know send me private messages and be like, hey, can I ask you a question about this? <laughs> you know, like, I, and I'm, I make myself very available for that. Um, I know a lot of people that don't have the energy or the time. And I think asking, like, do you have the spoons or the energy to have me ask you a question? And if someone says no, like, pr please respect that. But I'm always very open for that um, all the time. So people have asked me a lot of questions about joining Onyx and I'm, almost always like yes it's probably like i i would do it yeah. again if given the option are you guys active right now during this time of covid yeah uh we're all it's a little difficult only because a lot of our chapter has been based in dc and over the couple of years i've been here there are more and more people that are living in baltimore so we're pretty split between the two uh we also have members in philadelphia uh and 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 a little further out and it's a lot it's difficult even at the best of times for like anybody to just get together for a bar night you know yeah. Um, yeah so being having everything be virtual has actually been better because we can all show up for an event <laughs> in the yeah. same space yeah. it's true um so that's been good <laughs> well before we go how can we uh reach out to you how can we stay connected um uh, it is not as easy as it was uh i technically have an instagram and a twitter but i have never been the one that has managed those <laughs> so uh, smoke signals I, we'll send smoke yeah. signals <laughs> yeah like, facebook is the easiest way to get a hold of me um okay. i i'm pretty I, it, it, the last few months i took a, a very a, a um kind of self-imposed facebook and social media break altogether. but i'm on there now so that's probably okay. the best way to get a hold of me and I'm just Jack Thompson. I don't have a million other, like, things. <laughs> just find me under Jack. <laughs> got it, got it. Um, be before we wrap up here, do you have any last statements you'd like to make to our audience? I mean, well, thank you for having me on and asking me to do this. This was a long t time in the making, I know. So like, <laughs> I appreciate you reaching out. Um, I'm not always the best at uh, getting back to people. <laughs> um, but I have, I have immensely enjoyed my time in the Levitt community. And yes, there have been some shitty times and there's been some shitty people. Um, but in a community this large, that's gonna happen. Like there's always gonna be a few, you know, crappy moments. But for the most part, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'm very glad that I've done all the things that I've done and met the people that I've met. And I can't wait to see how we, you know, get through this horrible scenario that we're in right now, so. Yeah. We'll get out there, go vote. Let's vote. Yeah. Fucking vote. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I always say this podcast is not a political podcast, but right now it goes beyond politics, I think. It's it's about our livelihoods and who we yeah, are. Se so. Sexuality and, and leather and everything that we do is political because people that aren't us are making decisions for us about us. So until that isn't a thing anymore, unfortunately, everything we do is in some way political. So please go out there and fucking vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you again. Thank you again so much, Jack, for coming on the show and sharing with us your experiences.
Thank you for asking me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. So just a quick little announcement before we go here. Um, Next week is election day. As we've been saying before, go vote, go vote, go vote, please. There will be no new podcast episode next week, and there will be no Leather Talk Zoom party next week as well. Please spend your time going to vote if you haven't already. It is extremely, extremely important that your voice gets heard. As always, don't forget that in the midst of COVID-19, there are several organizations within the Los Angeles Leather community that are here to help. The LELC Cares, Bullet Bar Pantry, and LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or anyone you know is in need of assistance, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay kinky. Okay. okay.